Gospels to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. As we're going through the book of Nehemiah, we're in the fourth chapter. We've traveled as far as verse 9 of Nehemiah, so we'll pick it up at verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. Old Testament book, Nehemiah chapter 4. And let's pray. Father, I pray that um, we would remember to turn ringers off our phones. Um, We need to be free from distractions. To hear your word, because there's something very important here for us. Your word going before us. For us to make application. For us to be encouraged and built up in the things of the Lord. And I pray that, Lord, that we would be teachable right now. As we've had a wonderful time of worship May our hearts be now soft before you to receive the seed of the word, that it may take root there, and that it may bear fruit in our lives. So we give you this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to look at this chapter, we see that the enemies of the Jews are coming against the work that God is doing through them and rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. We discussed last week how Paul writes, to not let Satan take advantage of us. We're not to be ignorant of his devices, Second Corinthians chapter 2. We know that the enemy Satan will come against us in our lives as Christians. As we confess Christ, as we live for Christ, as we serve Christ, we know, I think that most of us, if not all of us, know that Satan will come against you and me, and he will come against this church corporately as we're doing the work of the Lord, as we're building the kingdom of God. Spiritual warfare is real. We are told in Ephesians chapter 6, for we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And as we've been traveling through the book of Nehemiah thus far, we know that he was the cupbearer to the king, and he asked permission to come back to, to Jerusalem, where the city laid in rubble. He would encourage the people and he exhorted the people to set their hands to build a wall around the city that had been destroyed some nearly 150 years before this time by the Babylonians, clear back in 586 B.C. And we are told that they set their hands for this good work. And I want to reiterate this, that whatever it is that we do for the Lord in the work of the Lord, always remember that it's it's a good work. But it can be a hard work as well. And we certainly are going to see that in this chapter as we continue and through this book. What can add to the difficulties and the trials that come when serving the Lord is the enemy coming against us. And he will come against what God is doing in your life. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And in chapter 4, we see some of the tactics of the enemy. Last week, we saw in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4 here that he likes to mock. And then secondly, in verses 7 through 8, he likes to intimidate. And as we pick up our text at verse 10, we're going to see that he uses discouragement. And he's going to use fear. Uh, He's going to use threats. Those are all weapons. What we're seeing in this chapter, 
that the enemy Satan has in his quiver as he throws the fiery darts at us and as he wars against us. So let's pick up our text in Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So that's quite a threat that we see here coming from the enemies of the Jews. Now, remember that as they began to build the wall, that Jerem, uh, that is Nehemiah coming into the city, he surveyed the city. We read in chapter 2, the rubble was all around, the stones had been burnt, the gates were torn down as well. And as they began to build, rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, as we read last week in verse 6 of the chapter, that the wall began to come together, joined together, built up to half the height, for the people had a mind to work is what we read. And after they set their mind to work, then the discouragement now really comes with the enemy fighting against them, threatening them as the enemy is mocking them and intimidating them. I can't help but think about in Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, we know that the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, the Lord had poured out his plagues upon Egypt. They would come across the Red Sea. They came to Mount Sinai to where the Lord made an ordinance with them and a covenant with them. And then they were told to go into the promised land. It's a land that I'm going to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And as they came to the border of the promised land, we know that Numbers 13 tells us that they sent 12 spies into the promised land. They go in for 40 days. They come back after that time, and they come back with great big grapes and fruit. And they said, truly, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, that's because God said it was. But then 10 of the 12 spies said, we cannot go into the promised land because there's cities, mighty cities, and there's a lot of inhabitants. And some of those inhabitants are giants. And they begin to discourage the congregation. It was Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, that said, it doesn't matter if they're giants. It doesn't matter if they have cities and a lot of inhabitants. God has promised us that he's going to give us this promised land, and he's going to give us this land flowing with milk and honey. But the unbelieving spies said, we can't. We're going to get gobbled up. We're but grasshoppers in their sights. And as a result, they begin to cry out to Moses. Why did you bring us out here? They were ready to stone Moses. And they ended up, because of their disobedience and because of their unbelief, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. It was the largest graveyard in the history of mankind until a new generation went into the promised land. They went in with faith. In my years of ministry... I know that when the mocking or the intimidating or the discouragement comes, I can get my eyes off the Lord. And I get my eyes on the problems. And I get my eyes on the challenges and the difficulties and the mocking and the threats and the fear and all of that. And the enemy here, as we saw last week, that they were saying, hey, you guys are feeble. And I begin to agree with the enemy. I am feeble. I can't do this. My strength is failing. I I forget that when I am weak, that he is there to make me and you strong. That he will be true to his word and to his promises that are given to me. And to know that Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, that brings me a lot of comfort. That Paul says, knowing this, being confident, that he who has begun a good work in me 
will bring it to completion. The Lord is going to bring to completion the work that he's doing in your life. And what is interesting is that as we continue in this book, we're going to see that some of the nobles, some of the Jews there, are going to align themselves with Tobiah. Of course, we read about Tobiah already in chapter 2 and chapter 4. He's one of the enemies of the Jews. It was Tobiah that had said that, uh, as he's mocking the work of the Jews, rebuilding the wall, that if a fox goes up on the wall, the wall's going to fall down. And what we're going to see, for reasons that we don't have time to go into, is that some of them are going to align themselves with Tobiah. They're going to actually, when Nehemiah has to leave for a little bit, They're going to bring Tobiah in to stay at the house of the Lord. They think if we can make a peace treaty with the enemy, it'll be easier. If we can compromise with the enemy, it'll benefit us monetarily. And it made them, those who aligned themselves with Tobiah, it made them have a divided heart. I have also learned that oftentimes discouragement will come from those who have a compromised heart. I'm going to make a peace treaty with the world. I'm going to make a peace treaty with the enemy. I'm going to compromise in these areas of my life. And they're pursuing their own interests and their own goals. And it was James that says that a double-minded person is unstable. It's like a wave that the sea is tossed and driven by the wind. And I have known those who have moved out in ministry that all of a sudden they get discouraged by those who have a divided heart. that want them to compromise that want them to make a peace treaty with the enemy. Listen, don't make a peace treaty with the enemy or the world because it'll end up doing you in and wiping you out. Listen, as we continue, Nehemiah, what we learn here is that he didn't prioritize listening to the enemies that were coming against him and the Jews. He didn't spend a lot of time or prioritize much time listening to the discouragement or the intimidating or the mocking, but rather he went about doing the work that he was called to do and had encouraged and told the people that we are to do. God wants us to rebuild the walls and the streets of Jerusalem once again. And if we spend so much time listening and prioritizing what the enemy has to say and those who have divided heart and those who are worldly putting doubt and mocking and intimidating and the discouragement that comes and, and from the world, from the enemy, we will not be able to move forward in the things that God has called us to do. But I also want to, to make one more observation before we move on. And that is that the enemies of Jerusalem would come together uh, in a common cause to stop the work. There to the north there was Sambalot and the Samaritans. To the east, Tobiah and the Ammonites. To the south, Geshem and the Arabs. To the west, there was Ashodites, the enemies of God and, and his work that is being done. We see that in the gospel when Jesus came and was ministering, the, the religious uh, groups and sects uh, that didn't have anything to do with each other. Sadducees and Pharisees and Herodians and you know the scribes, they would argue with each other, didn't have a whole lot to do with one another, but they would come together in a common cause of we're going to put Jesus to death. And the world and the enemy and others will come together to try to uh, stop the work that God is doing in this church and in your life and in your family. 
They will come together against the work of God and what he is working in you and through you. And what we are to do is to learn from this godly leader here, Nehemiah, what did he do when the intimidating, the mocking comes and all of this? Well, we read last week in verse 4 that he gave it to the Lord. He didn't get off the wall and start arguing or mocking back or go to social media and all of this. He gave it to the Lord. He said, Lord, you bring their, their attacks to nothing. He would focus on the Lord and trust in the Lord. And he gave it to the Lord, the discouragement. And, and it, it would also be discouragement that you see the thing about discouragement is it not only comes from the outside, but then it begins to grow in the inside, inwardly. We start to be negative. We start to be hard on ourselves. We start condemning ourselves and listening too much to the enemy. You know, I am weak. I am feeble. Uh, I better watch out. I better compromise. Rather than giving it to the Lord and standing fast in the Lord and what he's called us to do and how we are to live. So he would pray. He gave it to the Lord. Second of all, we see in verse 9 that he said a watch. And we're going to see that's a theme that we continue to see in the book of Nehemiah. That they're going to set a watch here as the fear and the threats are going to come. When the work is done, they set a watch and they set a guard at the gates and in front of the homes. The tactic that is used as we see the enemy is to, to threaten you to come against you. But yet... They would guard and they would watch as we discussed last week. But let's continue in verse 12. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. The, the threats, the attacks, we're going to get you is what the enemy is saying. And it was repeated ten times. Can you imagine that? We're going to kill you. We're going to come against you. Time after time after time, ten times here, the enemy, these, these guys are, are going to come against us, bringing everyone down, causing fear. And then that fear begins to spread amongst the people, God's people here. So here they are at a low point. And as a leader, I need to be careful whenever things are difficult or things and, and people are coming against us that I don't want to, to my family or to this congregation, just always be negative and discouraging, and we need to be afraid. But what a good leader does in the church and in the home, moms and dads and grandparents, whoever that you are, verses 13 and 14, listen, this is important, let's read it. What did Nehemiah do? Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight for your brethren and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. I love these two verses. Oftentimes I come back to these two verses in my life and in my ministry. Here's the enemy, he's mocking. Here's the enemy intimidating. He's bringing discouragement, he's threatening, he's causing fear. That's the tactic of the enemy. So what does Nehemiah do? As I said, he prayed verse 4, we took note of. Then he set a watch in verse 9. And now it's time to act. You see, in our Christian lives, when the battle rages and the attacks come, and they will come, it's not if they will come, they will come. We are to pray. We are to seek the Lord. 
We are to cast our cares upon him. We are to be one that as we put our burdens on him. I can't help but think about David in, in Psalm 55. I was reading this to the staff this, this week. And David had a Hithophil that came against him. And he would write, he said, If it was not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you. He said, it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. He goes on to say, don't let their wickedness prosper. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord will save me. And he speaks about how then cast your burdens on the Lord. You see, Ahithophel was one that as we talk about David and his life, oftentimes we'll talk about how him and Jonathan had that special relationship with one another, and they were close. But I think David was really close to that man, Ahithophel. That's what the psalm speaks about. And when David is running for his life from his son Absalom, he gets word that, hey, Ahithophel, he's joined in with the rebellion. He wants to come against you, David. He wants to kill you. And I learned so much from David that he says that this was my equal, my companion. It tells us that Ahithophel, that when he spoke, it was like the counsel of God. David would be talking with Ahithophel. I imagine them up late at night, just before the fire, just talking about the things of the Lord. And now he's going through this hurt and this threat and this intimidation. And, and I'm going to kill you, David. He tried to get the whole nation to come against David and to do him in. But he was one that he gave it to the Lord. And he was one that we read in the Psalms that we continually do that. And I learned from David. So we are to watch. We are to pray. And we are to then, as thirdly, we see that there will be a time to act. Moses and the children of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea. You know the account there in the book of Exodus. And as they're there, all of a sudden they see a cloud of dust, and it's the Egyptian chariots uh, coming against them. They can't go forward, you know, because the chariots are in front of them. They can't go backwards to mountain ranges on both sides. And the people would cry out. They said, as they looked up, the scripture says, and they saw the chariots, and they said that, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die out here in the wilderness? And Moses, that he would say to the people, don't be afraid and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord's going to fight for you and you shall hold your peace. It reminds me so much of this chapter of what Nehemiah is telling the people here. Is they're discouraged. The enemy's coming against them. That listen, the Lord's going to fight for you as we continue reading here. That you don't need to be afraid. And I don't know about you, but I'll be honest with you. There are times that I do get afraid. When the battle rages, when the uncertainty comes, when I feel like the chariots of the world and the enemy is just about ready to run me over. But what is interesting as you read about that in the book of Exodus, that Moses, he says, stand still, don't be afraid, see the salvation of the Lord. You'll never see the Egyptians anymore after this. And then in the next verse, it tells us that the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to move forward. And in that, as I read that, you know, here's Moses and stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. And I think in between the two verses there, Moses then ducked behind a 
big rock and he's going, okay, Lord, this does not look good. <laughs> what are we going to do? And the Lord is saying, why are you crying out to me, Moses? You need to move forward. So he lifted up the staff and the sea parted. Sometimes that we will move forward before we pray. But we are to pray as we see Nehemiah did. And we are to seek the Lord. And he's going to call you and I as we move forward in our walk with the Lord and growing in the Lord and our service to the Lord. That he says, I want you to step forward. I want you to keep moving forward. It's important to pray because the children of Israel would learn there as you read those books of the law as they're in the wilderness that there was a pillar of cloud, particularly as you read the book of Exodus, and by night, uh, day, and a pillar of fire by, by night that led them. When the pillar left, it represented the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God leading them. They would pack up and they would move. When it stopped, they would stop. And the Lord is going to have us step forward. And he's going to have us take action. That there's a time to act, and you need to be brave And you need to trust the Lord. So Nehemiah, he doesn't quit here. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, uh, you're on your own. I've I've helped you enough. You're halfway done. I'm going to go back to be the cupbearer. He begins to act here. Despite the threats, despite the discouragement and the people wanting to quit. What did he do here in these exhortations? What did he tell them? Well, we learn from this wonderful godly leader. Number one, you can note that he positioned the men, verse 13. He set them according to their families with swords and spears and bows. So men, husbands, parents, grandparents, whoever you are, Make a stand in your home. Are you positioned to fight the good fight of the Spirit? Because there is an enemy that is trying to invade and get a foothold into your family, into your home. And he wants to do you in and wipe you out. He wants to come against you spiritually, and he will try. So you need to position yourself and you need to be one that you make your stand in your home. Second of all, he tells them, don't be afraid. We just talked about that. And I really think that an effective tactic of the enemy, because he's used it with me before, and a tool is that he wants to bring fear. As we draw attention here to verse 11, our adversary said, we're going to kill you guys. And if he can cause fear, then the work of God that he's doing in our lives will cease. We begin to hear the voices of the world. The enemy coming against us, saying that you need to stop acting like a Christian. If you're so serious about being a Christian, you're not going to get ahead. You're not going to get that promotion at work. You're going to lose your friends. Your family's going to disown you. Your boyfriend, girlfriend... It's going to break up with you. Whatever it might be. And we begin to make decisions based on fear. And if we make decisions based on fear, 
and being intimidated, it will paralyze you spiritually. And it will paralyze others around you. So dads and husbands and leaders, whoever you are, fear and faith cannot live together. Fear and faith cannot live together. Nehemiah encourages the people, don't be afraid. But you look to the Lord. And then to remind them, thirdly, as we read here, that remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I need to remember that. I need to remember to magnify the Lord. The tendency for me is I want to magnify the problem. I begin to focus on the problem, always thinking about it. God is great and awesome. And we need to look to the greatness of God when we have fear or discouragement. Abraham waited for the promise of God that he would have a child, him and Sarah. And he waited and he waited and he waited for 25 years. And it seemed impossible that then he was told, even though Sarah was past the age of childbearing, that you and Sarah are going to have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. No. Because our God is able. And God is greater than the enemy, much greater than the enemy. He is greater than the world out there coming against us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And instead of always focusing and listening to the enemy or to the world, we need to listen to our great and awesome God who says that I am with you and you don't need to be afraid. And I will fight for you and I will never leave you or forsake you. And I will be faithful to my word and to my promises. And I will complete that which I have begun to do in you. The work of salvation. The work of sanctification in our lives. And then fourthly, this is important. Please don't tune out. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives and houses. You fight the good fight of the Spirit. You fight the good fight of the Spirit. The last exhortation of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16. Many of you, you know the verse. He would say, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. As he gives that exhortation As he closes that letter, it reminds me so much of what we're being told here in the book of Nehemiah, that you stand your watch, you watch, you watch, make sure that you don't go into the enemy's territory. And not only watching out for the enemy, who's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but it also means watching for the Lord. As I keep my eyes on the Lord and I'm watching him, being the faithful servant that is looking for the master's return, and knowing that as I watch him and set my eyes on him, that it will help me to be strong. It will help me to not be afraid. So we are to be ones that we watch. Second of all, stand fast in the faith. Don't stand in fear. Stand fast in the faith. How do we grow in faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as I'm growing in the word of God, I'm going to grow in faith and I'm going to trust the Lord. And I know that his word is true for me. And I don't have to stand in fear because I'm told over and over again that I don't have to be afraid. And then thirdly, Paul says, you guys in Corinth, and as a word for you and for me here at Calvary Chapel, you be brave. 
Now, that's the new King James. In the King James, it says, quit you like men. And I thought, what does that mean? Well, it's the Septuagint from 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's the account when the children of Israel, at the end of the days of the judges, they're not right with the Lord. They go to battle against the Philistines. They get defeated soundly, got their clocks cleaned. They come back. Many of them had died. They were defeated. And one of them comes up with this bright idea. Why don't we take the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out there of the tabernacle in Shiloh and let's take it out to battle with us and it will defeat the enemy. So they were trusting in a box rather than the Lord. So as they brought the Ark of the Covenant out, you know, that which was in the Holy of Holies, that they brought it out. There was a great shout of the camp of Israel, For Samuel 4 tells us. The Philistines across the valley, they hear this cry. They said, uh-oh, we're in big trouble. They brought their God into the camp. The one that defeated the, the Egyptians, that, that drowned the Egyptian chariots some 400 years before this time, we're in big trouble. And they're crying and they're sniveling. And finally, one of them stood up and said, quit you like men. In other words, wipe your noses. You need to quit your sniveling. And you need to fight. And they went to battle against the children of Israel. And the Philistines won. For reasons we don't have time to explore. If the world says fight, if the Philistines say fight, how much more we in the church that we're to fight the good fight of faith? You fight for your spouse. You fight for your children. You fight for your grandchildren. You fight for your brethren. And men, I want to say this, but it's for all of us. You take on the role that God has given to you. I think the great need in the church today is for men to step forward and take on the role that God has given to them to lead. You take on that role. It doesn't mean your wife isn't going to come alongside of you and help lead. But you fight for your wife. You fight for your kids. The good fight of the spirit, you be praying for them. You protect your home. You make a stand. You take on the role that God has given to you. You be strong. Because God is calling you to do that. And you see, that's the fourth thing that Paul told the Corinthians. You watch, stand fast in the faith. You be brave, but you be strong. And throughout the scriptures, we are told, aren't we, that we're to be strong and of good courage. Joshua When Moses' ministry was done, Moses, you're going to go home to be with your brother. Joshua is going to lead the children of Israel. And so Moses comes to Joshua and says, you be strong, good courage. And then you flip the page and you go over to Joshua chapter 1. And three times the Lord comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So you be strong, good courage. You be strong, good courage. You be strong, good courage. And then the people come to Joshua and said, there's one thing that we do ask of you, Joshua. We'll heed you like Moses. We'll, we'll let you lead. But one thing that we ask, you be strong, good courage. I think if this congregation was to ask me one thing, it would not be, would you be the funniest pastor around? 
or the coolest pastor or the most revelant pastor or the greatest oratory pastor? I think that you would say, will you be strong and good courage for us? To teach the word of God, to pray for us, to serve us in humility. And I need your prayers in that. And your family needs you, men, to be strong of good courage. And there is going to be that time that he's going to call you to step forward. That man with the withered hand there in the synagogue, as Jesus said to him, that was in the back. He said, you, stand forth, stand up. And the man stood up and did an incredible work in him, a work of healing. Because he heard the voice of the Lord saying, stand forth, stand up, step forward. That's what you're to do. And maybe you feel like that you've been kind of standing in the back or sitting in the back of things when it comes to leading your family or when it comes to ministering to them. I'll be passive about it. And the Lord is speaking to you and saying, I want you to stand forth. I want you to stand up. He said to that man, stretch forth that hand that's withered. And maybe there's some things that are withered in your life that the Lord is saying, I want you to stretch it forth so I can do work of enabling and helping you. See, it isn't that we're going to eat glass and spit nails and be all tough, and I'm going to do this all myself. I need the Lord's help. I need his strength. I need to go to him. And when others are stepping back, he's going to call you to step forward in so many situations and times in your family because he wants you to be strong and good courage, and your family needs that. Over the years, that people want somebody who's going to be strong and good courage. And I'll tell you what, I'm as weak as anybody else. But when I'm with a family, that they're saying goodbye to their loved one as they're taking their last breath, as they lose a child. To parents that are told that you better get in as the surgeons are preparing your daughter that was just in a car accident two months before graduation. And you need to say goodbye because she's probably not going to make it. To stand with a father that's holding his lifeless four-year-old son in the Platte River that had drowned. And there are going to be those times when you are going to be called to bring peace and calmness to just be there when everybody else is stepping back for you to step forward, for you to be strong and good courage. And I tell you what, there's been plenty of days where I took the long way home. Some of you know what that means. Of time of just, Lord, what do I say and what do I do? And I need your help in this. Please help me to be strong, good courage. 
Be strong for your family, for the people that are linked to you in your life. You fight for them. You take on your role. And you step forward when the enemy wants you to step back. And then fifthly, you keep working because it's a good work. We read that in verse 15 here. That it happened when the enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. The enemy stood down once they saw that the defenses are going up, the wall's going up. James says, listen, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is a promise. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then as we finish here this morning, quickly, verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked on the construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, wore armor, and leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, the other hand held a weapon. Every one of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside him. And then I said to the nobles, to the rulers, to the rest of the people, that the work is great and extensive, and we're separated far from one another on the wall. And whatever you, when it, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Please underline that. In verse 21, so we labored in the work. And half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, he also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they might be our guard by night and work in party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men and guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Two things as we close here. Number one, they had a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. You have the word of God. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. You have in one hand and you have a trial in, in another. You have the word of God and the spirit of God doing a work in you. And then second of all, they were side by side. You make sure that you are side by side with other brethren that will help you because see the enemy one of the other things that he wants to do is he wants to isolate you that's why fellowship is so important to come in and develop those relationships and it just takes time to do that men come to the men's study come to men's breakfast get to know some of the guys there's some really great guys and none of us are in the who's who of the world we're all just guys working hard for our families and we're working out there and trying to raise our children in the ways of the lord but with one thing we got in common is we love jesus and we can blow the trumpet when things get hard and there'll be guys that will be here i've seen it happen many times those who have come in and they get encouraged and they're blessed and they develop those relationships. Ladies, the same thing. It's one of the reasons why we have the children's ministry. We try to do something with families every month so you can get to know each other and the kids. We need fellowship with one another. And we need to continue that. Because if you isolate yourself, you're going to become weak. And here are the men that are saying, hey, you blow the trumpet. We got your back. We got your back. We got your back, and we're going to help you. All you have to do is blow that trumpet, and we'll be there. My prayers that we're there for one another in this church, really, truly. 
And that we can be in a place where we can be encouraged and prayed for and strengthened in every way. So, Calvary Chapel, I want to say this before you leave. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And then Paul said one other thing. All that you do, do with love. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this chapter that is so encouraging, such a blessing. That there would be love here, that we really care for one another, help one another. And so, Father, I I thank you for this example of godly leadership in Nehemiah. And I pray that we would take on the good fight of the Spirit and we would fight for our families, for our brethren, those who are linked to us in our lives, the good fight of the Spirit to be praying, to guard, to watch, that you would strengthen us, Lord, because we need you. We become weak. We become feeble. Not to have a compromised or divided heart, to make our stand, especially in the world that we live in today. So I thank you for these reminders. Because I believe, listen, well, we just got a couple minutes. That the Lord is saying to some of you, step forward. I want you to step forward in faith. I want you to fight the good fight of the Spirit. Don't be passive about it, making excuses about it. But you're hearing the voice of the Lord saying, I'm going to help you to do that and enable you to do it. Because you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's doing a work in you. So Lord, I thank you for your your desire to work in our lives because we are people that need you. The enemy in the world comes against us in every way. I also want to pray if there's anyone here that you've never made a commitment to Christ, that he is your salvation. You see, Jesus, he did the work. He went to a cross and made atonement for your sins, and he rose again, and now you come in faith. And as you confess that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, and call out on the name of the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the invitation is for today is the day of salvation, and for you to come. You can do that right now, sincerely in your heart, by praying, Jesus, I come, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me personally. Forgive me. You rose again, and you're the Son of God, and I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior the Lord and Savior of my life. And I thank you for forgiving me and the hope of salvation and bringing me into the family of God. And help me to fight the good fight of the Spirit, to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And for all of us here, we would leave here in courage, recognizing our need for you, Lord, but also knowing that God will fight for us He will fight for you. 
so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be full of discouragement. But to step forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We're here to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. Guys, you know, come up and receive prayer. Um, Ladies, we have Suzanne here. We'll pray with you. But anybody made a decision for the Lord, we want to pray for you. If you're online, you made a decision, please let us know. We want to encourage you in any way that we can. Luke, can you close this?